Trivita presents Healthy You with your host, Michael Ellison. Well, welcome to Healthy You. I have a, a very special guest today uh, that will be with us talking about one of our essentials, and that is the essential of water and hydration. In my new book on the 10 Habits of Wellness, I uh, devote a whole chapter to water because of its significance and importance, and also in regard to what I would say somewhat um, – ignorance is a pretty heavy word, but we, I don't think, appreciate what it means to be fully hydrated in regard to optimizing our performance. Well, we're going to get into that with Dr. Cassett today, and uh, he's going to – be able to share from his own personal experience as well as his mission in his life. But before I do that, I'd also just like to talk to you as healthy you listeners that we commit this program for your well-being as well as your health. You know, the healthcare system today, we have a tendency to focus on the management of disease or the absence of disease and uh, I just want to say that uh, wellness is more than the management of disease and the, more than the lack of disease. It is having that vitality and that energy to do the things that you love and and purpose to do in your life. And it's also to have those daily positive emotions of love and forgiveness and gratitude and acceptance in life and what a way to live, right? And also the spiritual aspects of our life to develop a relationship with God and feel connected to that purpose for your life. So when you live that way, you're living to optimize your life and the performance of your life and to uh, really perform well. And that's what well-being is all about in in my definition of wellness. So Dr. Casa, it's nice to have you here today. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. I really look forward to this time with you to talk about uh, one of our essentials, and that is hydration. Now, you've committed your life. uh, You are the uh, CEO of the Corey Stringer Institute, and I know that there's a big purpose that you have related to that, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But Obviously, there had to be some event, just like in my own life. What happened to me led me down the wellness pathway, and then I founded Trivita. In the mid-'80s, you had an experience personally. Can you share with our uh, listeners uh, what happened in your life? Absolutely. Um, When I was a 16-year-old high school track athlete, um, I was from Long Island, um, so in the state of New York, um, we had a big – summer olympic festival called the empire state games and it was an extremely prestigious event to be able to qualify for the empire state games and there was eight regions in new york state and the top two people for the track and field they had a lot of different sports but in track and field the top two qualified in each in each region and each of the track events so i tried out for many years through high school in the summertime i tried to qualify because it meant so much to me and i was not able to qualify until after um, in my junior year was done, heading into my senior year, um, I was finally in the top two positions um, in the 10K race on the track. So this massive honor to be named to the Empire State Games off of Long Island. And I get up to the Empire State Games finals in Buffalo on August 8, 1985, and it's during a heat wave, and they have the wisdom of running this 10K race at noontime on the track. 
Um, so a 10K race on the track is 25 laps, and it's more boring than it sounds. Um, and they're running it at noontime. They had the sprints going at night under the lights where there's no safety risk for 100 meters or 200 meters. They're, those are being run in the evening, and they're putting the distance runners on a black track at noon during a heat wave to run 25 laps. Um, so on the 25th lap, on my very final lap, I was doing extremely well, running one of the best races of my life, um, competing for that third-place spot like a medal, and um, I went down, collapsed with 200 meters to go. I quickly got up, ran the turn, and then collapsed with maybe 50 or 60 meters to go, face down, and I was in a coma on the track, and I was in a coma for the next five or six hours, woke up somewhere between 5 and 6 p.m., extremely fortunate that the athletic trainer on site um, the medical professional who started my care knew it was a heat stroke, started aggressive cooling. The EMS, EMT people um, did aggressive um, cooling, and then the chief of the ER at the hospital in Buffalo, who had experience actually with treating heat stroke, um, cooled me aggressively with um, a cold, uh, with an ice bath at the hospital. And I was very fortunate that I was able to survive it without any long-term complications. And that moment in 1985, almost 30, you know, 34 years ago now, um, basically was the lightning rod for really everything else I did for myself professionally, going on to get my PhD, become an athletic trainer, um, looking to try to enhance health and safety for athletes, warfighters, and laborers. Yeah, that uh, obviously this has been more of an impact to direct your life uh, in what has uh, transpired since then. Uh, you currently are a professor at the University of Connecticut. Uh, you're an author. And all of that, uh, along with your CEO position of the Corey Stringer Institute, is really about um, athletes and their performance and the importance of hydration. You mentioned a word, though, heat stroke. And I think that's something that a lot of people can identify with is – heat stroke, and then we talked about hydration. You know, again, there's probably somewhat of a lack of understanding because if it's just about thirst, that's not really optimizing our hydration if we're, you know, just get to the point of we're being thirsty. Can you take a few minutes and talk to us about water, body function, organs, systems, the importance of hydration? Sure. Yeah, so it's, we've had the good opportunity, um, really fortunate opportunity, to do a lot of research here over the last 25 years at the University of Connecticut in my, in my work here. And a lot of our research studies have focused on different elements related to hydration. So just as an example, we've done some work with, like, how hydration affects cognitive function. We look at how hydration affects your ability to exercise in the heat, how hydration affects your cardiovascular function, how hydration affects your athletic performance, um, and how it affects how you feel, um, your your mood. These are all things that we've looked at how, how hydration can affect it. And to give you an example, like just being um, like 2% dehydrated, and when we say 2% dehydrated, that's like, you know, based on percent of your body mass loss, and that's not a lot. It's something that can happen in just 30 to 40 minutes of activity in the heat. You have a, a deficit in your cognitive function. You have a, a worse mood. You don't perform as well athletically if you have to do intense exercise in the heat. Um, so th there's um, a real focus on what we're trying to understand and educate with hydration. Um, there's a few caveats I want to explain. So as Please. you had just noted earlier, thirst often kicks in for most people at about 2% of their body mass loss, you know, maybe between 1.5%, 2%, maybe a little bit more. 
Um, and that's obviously an amazing sensation your body has to try to avoid, you know, more extreme levels of dehydration. And obviously, if you're thirsty, you should heed that warning and, and hydrate yourself. But as you noted, if you only wait to getting thirsty, you are still mildly dehydrated. So it's also just good to be aware of what you need to stay properly hydrated because you don't want to start an activity like 2% dehydrated. You don't want to start your workday 2% hydrated. You don't want to wait to be thirsty to drink. You want to use, you know, water throughout the day in a healthy way to stay hydrated. Now, to always, I always want to throw the caveat in. We always want to avoid overhydration as well because um, there are some circumstances, something called exertional hyponatremia, which is um, when someone drinks too much fluid and their sodium actually drops and it could become a dangerous circumstance. It happens to soldiers in basic training or athletes in endurance races, and that's when the people drink more than their body needs. They, they, they drink in excess of, of normal amounts. So we always advocate at the Corey Stringer Institute individualized hydration plans where if you, like we help athletes figure out their sweat rates so they know how much they lose during an activity because we want them to replace a healthy amount, you know, most of what they're losing in the exercise session, but we absolutely don't want anyone to ever overhydrate. Um, because we don't want anyone put anyone at risk of exertional hyponatremia. But these are just, you know, some basic, you know, behaviors. We, we want to get people towards understanding what their basic fluid needs are. One of the best ways of evaluating it yourself is that the first, when you get up in the morning, the, the most valid way of assessing your day-to-day -day hydration status is using a trifecta of three different variables, and that's thirst, your body weight, and your urine color upon first waking in the morning. That's when all three of those, um, especially used together, are most valid. So when you first get up in the morning, there's a simple like thirst scale that's out there that's validated that you can assess your thirst level. Urine color, there's a, um, a validated urine color chart that we have these athletes and different people use. And obviously if it's darker, you're more dehydrated. And then body weight from day to day, once you start doing body weight day to day, most of those fluctuations in your weight is due to your hydration status because you're obviously not going to lose, you know, five or six pounds of fat in one day. Um, so when you start doing it consistently, you have a very good idea um, that the body weight changes are due to hydration. So then when you put those three variables together, it starts to have people really develop good behaviors because if you see at 6 o'clock in the morning when you get up, that you're thirsty or your urine color is dark or your hydration, your body weight's a little lower than the day before, you now know that, you know, okay, at breakfast I'm going to drink a little bit more because I'm dehydrated or I'm going to make sure I, I hydrate through the morning. But then we find that people start to develop just better habits so that later in the day, in the evening, like with dinner, maybe just after dinner, they're, they're hydrating well um, so that when they get up in the morning, their morning measures are a little bit better. Um, and then if you start doing that from day to day, obviously then hydration becomes a focal point and then you start to, you know, do a better job of hydrating yourself. Does that all make sense? Oh, it's great. Yeah, no, that yeah. that's excellent to, to take that trifecta uh, because I do weigh in the morning first thing and uh, I uh, uh, also uh, do the urine color uh, because I take supplements later on. So I want that first urine sample to be an indication of okay, is that darker or is that lighter? Uh, that's mm -hmm. an important part of it. So uh, for the average person, I mean, this is, if you want to live hydrated, okay, this is a wonderful way for you to start your day and to be able to know that. And it's a, it's a great way of of setting a standard for you personally. So well right. said. simple, right? Because you only need, I mean, you're only looking at a scale here. And a lot of people own scales to start with. So 
I mean, the, the thirst, urine color, and, and body weight, it, it, it's not an expensive process. It's not difficult. It could probably be done within 30 to 60 seconds that you would know those three values. That's a simple but profound formula because yeah. it has a profound effect on you. Could we go back just for a moment in regard to research on, on cognitive? Because sure. all of us, I mean, mood and our cognitive function is really important to us. Do you have any uh, tips there as far as related to – either what you would feel if you were dehydrated, uh, let's just say in regard to mood, how does that affect you? How does it affect you as far as in, you know, brain function? Yeah, so the thing is, is when you're mildly dehydrated, the warning signs of that are so subtle. You know, so obviously thirst would be one of the first ways of knowing that you're mildly dehydrated. Maybe people would have like a mild headache. Um, um, You know, like I said, you know, if, if someone... Does someone have a, a, a good enough perception that they would know that their mood is not as good as normal? Oftentimes, the people around them would know better than them, the person would know themselves. Um, so, yeah, so it's a matter of being aware of some of those those early warning signs. But you know, during the day, you know, checking your urine color, listening to your thirst, um, those are those are valuable. The first morning measures are certainly the, the most valid of those three, but certainly through the day, they still can be helpful. Um, so those that those are just some things to consider to help you assess, you know, and be aware of it through the day. So, Dr. Cassie, you are the CEO of the Corey Stringer Institute, and uh, I know you've devoted your life uh, to the importance of preventing uh, sudden death uh, from um, basically um, dehydration. Can you share how the Cory Institute uh, came into being and then uh, a little bit in regard to the mission and the vision of the Institute? Yes. So the audience may know about the, the very sad story related to Corey Stringer. He was a, a amazing high school football player from the state of Ohio, um, and he went to Ohio State University. He was a first-round draft pick, and he's playing for the Minnesota Vikings. He was starting his fifth season um, and they had a horrible heat wave in Minnesota in the end of July and the beginning of August in 2001. On the first Monday of practice, they did an intense two-a-day workout with full gear on, almost 100 degrees outside, no modifications to the workout. He struggled in the second workout, was not feeling well in the evening, went back to do a practice the next morning. Again, no modifications, extreme heat, full gear, um, and unfortunately, he went down with an exertional heat stroke and unfortunately um, was not aggressively cooled. So he stayed hyperthermic for longer than obviously is optimal to assure survival. And he, uh, um, the next day he succumbed to the consequences of the hyperthermia that he had from the heat stroke and he passed away. And that was 2001. I assisted his widow and his agent for the next eight or nine years um, during the legal pursuits and ultimately his his widow and Commissioner Goodell at the NFL really wanted to have a lasting legacy for Corey. That was something very positive. It's something maybe prevent future heat strokes in the, for people in the future and to try to make sports safer. Um, so they reached out to us to see if we would host that at UConn. That was 2010 when we opened our doors, and now next year would be our 10th year anniversary. Um, we have 80 people who work at the Corey Stringer Institute. We have about 60 volunteers and 20 staff. Um, and we have a very extensive, you know, different groups we work with. But I'll, I'll say our mission, the mission of the Corey String Institute is to provide research, um, education, advocacy, and consultation um, to maximize performance 
um, optimize safety and ultimately to prevent sudden death for the athlete, warfighter, and laborer. So we care passionately about athletes at all levels, youth, middle school, high school, pro, recreational, um, warfighters um, in America, certainly all of our branches of the military we work closely with, um, but then also we've assisted warfighters in other parts of the world as well. And then laborers, we work with OSHA and NIOSH and other um, governmental organizations who oversee laborers and also some of the major companies in America that have to worry about laborer safety. Um, we assist them. Um, so we, we feel like we're able to have a, a pretty big impact, um, but we're just humbled, obviously, by the opportunity to be able to make sports safer. One of our biggest current projects, I'll just mention briefly, is we're in the midst of visiting all 51 states, if you include the District of Columbia, because um, to enhance health and safety standards for high school sports, because each state manages its own rules for high school sports. And so we raised money to um, be able to host a meeting within each of those states to assemble the key people to enhance each state's health and safety policies. So over the next four years, um, we've already visited six, and the next four years we'll um, be visiting the other 45 to try to have a big impact on the 8 million high school athletes in America. Well, I know this has been, you know, through the years, a concern in regard to high school athletes, and we know of those times in which, you know, there's been the unfortunate incident in which someone has passed, you know, on from the dehydration and hurt and, you know, heat uh, exertion related. Uh, so I I have uh, friends and also I know uh, people who listen to our podcast who have grandchildren who are high-performance uh, athletes, and I just want to encourage them to uh, really listen to the importance of hydration and what you are saying, Dr. Casa. So in working with the military – then hydration is 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 that something that is taught primarily in special forces, or is that all the way across the various um, military units out there? It's a good question. So, just to make sure your audiences understand as well, certainly exertional heat stroke and hydration are some of the big mission uh, issues for uh, Corey Stringer Institute. But we also we do focus on other big ticket items for health and safety for sports. So we do also do work related to cardiac issues exertional sickling, concussion or head injuries, um, lightning, diabetes, asthma, you know, um, neck injuries. So we do focus on the other things that could cause serious injury um, or, or, or death for an athlete. So well, we were certainly born out of the heat side, and we do a lot of our research is related to that, but we do have a big focus on the other big-ticket health items for, for athletes, warfighters, and laborers. Um, but when you mentioned the military, Oh, the, 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 ironically, well, the, the biggest issues for heat stroke certainly is more with basic training, so actually not the special forces, because people coming into basic training have such a wide variety. So, so many of them are not well-conditioned physically, um, and um, basic training, you know, you have just such a variety of people going through it that, that that's the greatest risk and certainly the greatest volume of people are in basic training. Um, that's not to say also there's a, you know, great, worry and concern for special forces, but those people are usually so highly trained, have been doing it for a while, that they usually more need assistance to optimize performance, not necessarily worrying about preventing them from dying. Does that make sense? Yes. Thank you for sharing that. So in, in talking about heat stroke uh, as, a, as a word that would be common amongst all of our listeners, Okay. How how does a person recognize then symptoms? Because we're coming into the summertime, 
And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they love to hike. They love to be outdoors, uh, take advantage, you know, of the a wonderful summer season, uh, different recreational opportunities. How would they recognize that uh, there's a potential of a heat stroke? That's a great question. So a couple of things. I'm going to address two items here. One is things you might be able to recognize yourself, but then probably more importantly, things you might be able to recognize um, in someone that you're with, because um, you might be able to perceive it in the person you're with more so than the person would perceive it themselves. So things that you might perceive yourself, like early warning signs, would be like nausea, vomiting, a dizziness, lightheadedness, headache, weakness, more fatigue than usual. Like if you do this 12-mile hike in this mountain in the heat all the time and it's way harder than normal, um, that's like a, a warning sign that this is a different day, something is, is amiss. When people are with you, like if you're hiking with someone or biking with someone, running with someone, if you notice any changes in their cognitive function, like they don't respond right away, um, their thought processing seems to be off, their patience is off, they become combative or confused, um, anything like that would be a warning sign that maybe something is, is wrong. But in either case, either you feel it yourself or you see it in someone else, immediately lower the intensity of the activity. So if you're running, start, you know, maybe jogging. If you're jogging, start walking. Or if it's really bad, obviously just stop right away. But I'm just saying if you suddenly just don't feel so well, lower your intensity. That's one of the fastest ways to stop the rise in your body temperature. Um, Second, get out of the heat if possible. You know, go from sun to shade. Go inside to air conditioning if you're able. You know, go and lay in a next to a cold, go in a cold stream or a lake if you're out hiking or trail running or something. You know, obviously just lowering the intensity and lowering, um, altering the environmental conditions if you're able are the other two biggest things you can do. And then obviously most times people having an exertional heat stroke, um, they're dehydrated, but it's not always the case in some really intense like 30 to 40 minute activity things. But usually people are dehydrated. But the, the biggest thing is if someone's actually suffering an exertional heat stroke, cooling them down quickly is the key to survival and cold water immersion is the best and we recommend a concept called cool first transport second so like at high school and college you know sports fields we have immersion tubs set up to cool people who have heat stroke on site and then we send them to the hospital after the cooling is done Um, but if you're out like i said more recreational like if it's a lake if it's a stream it's a cold towel it's using shade it's taking off you know their backpacks it's stopping the activity so that they can start to rest. These are all just common sense things to do. It's pretty um, actually scary when that happens. I was with my younger son. Now, he was in his late 20s, and we had a big uh, outdoor uh, event planned in which we would be in the mountains for several days, and we were covering a lot of ground. And uh, one of the things that happened to him, we were at about 10,500 feet, and we were pushing pretty hard. And so we sat down, and uh, we were talking, looking at the view, and all of a sudden he was like, boy, I don't feel good. And it's like, okay, well, are you – do you feel sick to your stomach? You know, do you have a headache? I mean, what's going on? He says, I mean, I just got to lay down. So he laid down, and uh, all of a sudden – I was talking to him, and he wasn't responding. What uh, uh, transpired during that time, obviously, first of all, there was a prayer, and then there was a lot of water you know, to cool him down, and uh, it took several hours, but uh, he came out of that. But we learned there, 
you know, when you're in those kind of environments, you may feel fine, you may feel energized, you may have been in condition like we trained for months, you know, prior to that event, and uh, yet we did not properly hydrate, you know, on that particular day, and I nearly lost my son on the side of a mountain. So knowing that and knowing how to treat somebody, I think that's, you know, that's really important what you've just said because it does happen. Agreed. No question about it. So then in the area of hydration, are there other things that you would like to share, uh, Dr. Casa, for our audience in regard to just the importance of hydration from a body function and then any other comments that you would like to make? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think something people will find interesting is that during intense exercise in the heat, hydration really becomes critical. Um, in fact, for every additional 1% body mass loss due to dehydration, your temperature is about almost a half a degree Fahrenheit hotter for every additional 1% body mass loss. So a football player who's 5% dehydrated at the end of practice, which would be very common, versus the, uh, another day when he's only 1% dehydrated, that's a two-degree difference in their body temperature. Now, it might not be quite two degrees, but maybe like 1.6, 1.7 degree difference. So it just shows you the power. And that really holds true during intense exercise in the heat. And the reason is, is that during intense exercise in the heat, the blood is needed in the muscles, you know, to help with the muscle contractions um, and obviously getting oxygen or getting nutrients there and removing waste products. It's needed in the heart to maintain your stroke volume, um, so that your heart rate doesn't have to become elevated to maintain your cardiac output. But then also it's needed at the skin because you need to re- get the heat out of your body. The, the, the blood, that warm blood is brought to the skin surface for cooling mechanisms, especially sweat, like evaporation of sweat droplets. So during intense exercise in the heat, that blood has to be shared by all three of those mechanisms. You know, it has to be muscles, has to be heart, has to be skin. Whereas if you're going in cool conditions, you don't send as much blood to the skin at all because you don't need to sweat as much. And if it's not intense, your muscles don't need nearly as much blood um, and you're not sweating as much. So it's, it's really a stress when you do intense exercise in the heat because of the very finite amount of blood you have in your body, which is further compromised when you're dehydrated. So that's why we really, when we're working with athletes who have to do intense exercise in the heat or soldiers or laborers, we try to make sure that, you know, they really minimize the amount of dehydration. It's okay to have a little bit of dehydration, but really trying to minimize it um, so that we don't have, you know, some of the the bad effects, um, you know, whether it be performance, cognitive mood, physiological function um, when you're exercising the heat and you're dehydrated. Do you have any preference as far as in hydration of water over, let's just say, juice or water over other, you know, forms of liquid? Yeah, I mean, throughout the day when someone's hydrating, I always encourage them to have water as their primary fluid that they're rehydrating with because of the, obviously, the great benefits of it being water and not having to have extra calories. And, and obviously, if you have a really good diet, you, you don't need to supplement your drink with other things. But there are certain circumstances when people do exercise in the heat or prolonged exercise and they don't have access to meals, that, that sports drinks might be helpful in certain circumstances. Um, especially high fluid turnover with many hours of competition or exercise um, could be beneficial. Another big thing is, is just what someone's preference is. You know, I mean, some people kind of get bored drinking water if they do a four-hour, you know, hike um, in the heat. They, they might actually just want something that has some flavor in it. Um, so there they, they might be a certain preference for them in those circumstances. So I really work with people to, 
have something that they enjoy drinking because that's obviously going to encourage them to stay hydrated. Uh, but we usually find a good blend. You know, most of it's water, but then you you find some other beverages that people like to supplement it or to help them in certain circumstances. So I'm noted up front that you also are an author. Let's take a few moments to talk about your books and uh, what each book uh, specializes in. Would you do that, Dr. Casa? Sure. So one of our, our big books that we produced at the Corey String Institute is called Preventing Sudden Death in Sport and Physical Activity. And that is a book that has, you know, like 17, 18 chapters, and each chapter is written by a, um, one of the world experts on that theme for that chapter. So there's a chapter on head injuries, some chapters on cardiac, a chapter on heat stroke, a chapter on all the different conditions that could cause, you know, harm during physical activity. Um, so we're, me and a colleague of mine, Dr. Stearns, are the editors of that book. It's a commonly used textbook in America when they're teaching emergency procedures in sport and a good reference for team physicians, athletic trainers, and people in the military and things like that. Um, a book that we just released, Maximizing Performance During Exercise in the Heat. There's about 20 different chapters in there on all the different aspects you would need to consider if you're yourself exercising in the heat or if you're supervising people who are exercising in the heat. Um, those are the two of the big books. I've contributed to some of the others as well, but those are two that we've really spearheaded here at the Corey Stringer Institute that I, I think are probably you know two of the biggest impacts. Terrific. And where would our listeners uh, have an opportunity to purchase? Oh, yeah, those books that I just mentioned are at Amazon. So you can look up Douglas Casa um, at Amazon that I've authored, and, and a few different books will come up. Terrific. Last word for you. This is the subject of hydration. This is about healthy you. Uh, last comments that you would like to make, Dr. Casa. Yeah, I mean, first of all, just thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'm a big believer that proper hydration is going to be a, a big factor to allow you to maximize performance and also just um, um, have maximal functionality in a daily life for people. Um, so just try to help them develop strategies to to find that sweet spot so that they're, um, you know, minimize their amount of dehydration and that they can be properly hydrated you know, through, through their daily life. Um, so thanks again. Thank you, sir, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you, listeners. Uh, let's uh, optimize our health and our well-being and live with uh, being hydrated because you will perform better mentally, you will perform better in your organs and your systems, so again, thank you for uh, being with us today on Healthy You. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Healthy You. To learn more about our guest, check the episode notes to find books, products, and services mentioned in this episode. This is provided for your information only and may not be construed as medical advice or instruction. These statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It is intended for your general knowledge only and not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment for any specific medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician with any question you may have regarding a medical condition.